Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Nigel Lithgow, and I was the executive producer of Pop Stars, My Idol, Pop Idol, and American Idol. And these are my idol memories. So many of you have written to me asking me to tell you about the beginning of the initial idol, Pop Idol, in the UK, which many of you already know was the British forerunner of American Idol. Although Simon Cowell certainly had a hand in shaping different areas of the show, the original concept and format was created by the Spice Girls manager, Simon Fuller. I was controller of entertainment and comedy at London Weekend Television and I'd invited both Simons to be a part of a hugely successful program called Pop Stars. Having initially said yes, both of them would eventually turn me down. Now, if you've been following my podcasts, you'll know that I was the tough judge on that program with the epithet Nasty Nigel. So today's podcast picks up about a month after that hugely successful series had ended. I was on a small island in the South China Sea, just off the coast of Borneo, when the telephone call came in. I'd finished Pop Stars, and I was producing and directing the British version of Survivor on Pulau Tiga. That was the same rat-infested volcanic island that Mark Burnett had used for the American show. It was the Spice Girls manager Simon Fuller on the line. He wanted to tell me that he'd just created a TV format called My Idol, and he wanted me to leave my position as controller of entertainment and comedy at London Weekend Television to join his company, 19 Entertainment. He explained that the show was about finding a solo singer, someone like David Cassidy, he thought. The audience would get to see the audition process traveling around the country as they'd done on pop stars, but the show would then transfer to a television studio. The judges would continue cutting the contestants down to a top 50, but at that point, the British public would take over and vote for their favorites until the eventual winner would be found. I think when we are down to the final two, Fuller predicted, we will have split the country into half as to who they like best. It will be just like a presidential campaign, two singers going head-to-head for the country's vote. He had no idea at this point how close his description would be. All of this came as a huge shock to me. What was going to happen to pop stars? The show that I'd developed, produced and starred in. What would become of Nasty Nigel? There always has to be an evil one, doesn't there? And Nigel was ours. In my absence, Simon had gone to another production company. Fremantle. They would be a production partner in this venture and would produce the shows. In order to avoid a lawsuit with the owners of the pop stars format, Screen Time, a settlement had been made that I could produce Idol but not be a judge on the program, as that would be classed 
as passing off. I remember blathering something about not being able to leave my position at London Weekend Television. I was currently very successful in my job. I had a pension. I had a security. Blah, 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 blah. He explained that he was pitching the format to the BBC the next day. That was a worry. And he would love to have me on board. He had already made a deal with a certain Mr. Simon Cowell. Simon Fuller would own the rights to the show and manage the winner, while Simon Cowell would get to sign the winner to his record label, just as he had wanted to do months earlier on Popstars. As I was so close to ITV, the independent broadcaster, I wasn't happy with him going to the BBC. I asked him to speak with Claudia Rosencrantz, the entertainment commissioner. I thought if my idol was going to be in competition with pop stars, then better that it be on the same channel where it could be controlled rather than the BBC where they could schedule it against us. He said he would do so and that he'd call me back the following week. As that call ended, I immediately phoned Claudia Rosencrantz at the network centre and informed her to expect a call from the two Simons and that she should see them as soon as possible. I briefly explained the show and she promised to make arrangements to meet with them as soon as she heard from Simon. I must be honest and say my head wasn't in my work that week. This new show idea had taken over all my thoughts. When Simon's call came in the following week, I was eager to hear his news and he couldn't wait to tell me. The BBC had loved the idea especially with the success of pop stars on ITV, and they wanted to buy it there and then. Simon, however, had an appointment with Claudia and informed the BBC he would discuss matters with his partners and get back to them as soon as possible. As I thought, Claudia had the same opinion as me. There was no way she wanted the BBC to get their hands on a show similar to ITV's pop stars, and she did a deal for my idol there and then in the room. Simon explained to me that Claudia's idea was to commission pop stars one year and My Idol the following year. Therefore, both shows could live together on ITV. That seemed perfect for me. Judge one, produce the other. Now, would I consider joining his company, he asked. I suggested he should go into negotiations with my manager, Laurie Mansfield, and see what could be worked out. Two months later... I was an employee of 19 Entertainment and working on a show that was now called Pop Idol. I was the executive producer of 19, while all the other staff came from Fremantle Media, including my lifelong friend and producer, Kenny Warwick. We'd grown up together in the same class at school from 12 years old. We'd gone to the same dance and drama school, and at 19 years of age, we were both in the young generation. This was a BBC all-singing and all-dancing group. Our careers were very similar. Choreographing, directing, producing. We worked together on many TV shows, including a very successful television series called Gladiators. Face the ultimate challenge, the might of the Gladiators. Jet. Warrior. I was the executive producer and Ken was the producer. It was one of the best shows I'd ever worked on, and I believe Ken would probably say the same thing. 
It was based on American Gladiators, but we turned it into such a huge arena show with a live audience of 7,000 in Birmingham's National Indoor Arena. It was so successful that we were asked to make the American version for the Samuel Goldwyn Company. From Universal Studios Hollywood, this is the American Gladiators. While I then progressed from head of entertainment to controller of entertainment at LWT, Ken went his own way and joined Fremantle Media. Now here we were, back together, working on another incredible project. Three other judges were put in place. A hugely successful producer and songwriter, Pete Waterman, one of Britain's top DJs, Dr. Fox, known as Foxy, and Simon Fuller's PR and my friend and judge from pop stars, Nikki Chapman. We had somewhere in the region of 10,000 kids turn up for the auditions from all over the country. I was going to send them into the judges' room in a straight line of five singers, like we'd done on Pop Stars. Simon Cowell, however, insisted that he wanted them to enter the room one at a time. This is exactly what the New Zealand judges had done on Pop Stars. The difference being they only had 500 singers and there were only two of them. Here, we were looking at thousands of singers and four judges, all of whom would want to give their full critique. We would be spending an inordinate amount of time with each singer. Those arguments made no difference whatsoever to Simon. He wanted them one at a time, and that was that. Ken and I put our heads together and worked out a plan that, while I would stay in the room with the judges, he and his fellow producer, Claire Horton, would organise their team to do pre-auditions in order to choose who would eventually meet the judges. Thereby, nobody bland would waste precious time in the judges' room. Only the best singers and the most outstanding characters were chosen. In other words, we kept the very best... Look inside you and Baby, you're all that I want And I wonder And the very worst. Oh, it might seem like a now it can feel like you can't grow old. This morning I woke up and I was scared. Everyone else was released. No one had anticipated this problem. It certainly wasn't in the format, but thanks to a great production team, the problem was solved and the audition process worked out brilliantly. The truth is, without this system, we would have never been able to audition 45,000 kids in a day, which is what we had to do when we eventually got to America. Anthony McPartland and Declan Donnelly, better known as Anton Deck, were chosen as the presenters of the show. They had originally met on a BBC Kids drama called Biker Grove back in 1989. Ooh. Biker! What's the matter? Nothing. You and Debbie, isn't it? You've had a fight, haven't you? No, it's nothing like that. In their character names of PJ and Duncan, they actually achieved a number one record with a catchy little track called Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Let's get ready, ready, let's get ready, ready, let's get ready to rumble. Watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic. Psych! Let's get ready, ready, let's get Who could ever forget that little ditty? Well, me for one. 
Anyway, remaining friends over the years, they had now become television presenters for a number of ITV shows, including CD UK, with a young lady named Kat Dealey, who would find fame and fortune here in America with another of my shows, So You Think You Can Dance. Being fresh, young, and full of energy, Anton Deck were the perfect hosts for Pop Idol. Someone you vote for will go on to be the next big thing. With the comedy material written by Charles Boyd under the direction of Ken, they had a lot of amusing interaction with the contestants and always made fun of Simon Cowell whenever they had the opportunity. That's the worst bit of TV presenting I've ever seen. I hope it's you. What are you doing over there, you idiot? I'm just being Simon Cowell. And I have to say, we all loved that. Auditions were going okay when a young man with a stutter walked into the room. Gareth Gates had a speech impediment from a young age. My name is... In speaking to the judges and being nervous now, the stammer was extremely apparent. Come on, man. Just take this on. Yet somehow, when he began to sing... It disappeared. Everybody's looking for that something. The judges knew instantly that they had a young star on their hands. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. What you've done today is unbelievably brave, just standing here in front of the four of us. Simon Cowell said it was at this point he knew that we were going to have a successful show. Ken remembered that it took Gareth about a minute to say his name. So when he sang perfectly, it was like a miracle. This incident, above all others, made us realise the importance of doing backstories on our contestants. A good story of overcoming adversity can certainly affect the audience. It then involves them not only in their performance, but also in their lives. Many contestants have faced all kinds of problems throughout their younger lives, but have persevered through and now need the audience's support. And let's be honest. Who isn't swayed by emotion? Why, even Simon Cowell had a lump in his throat listening to Gareth. Now, whether that was purely about Gareth overcoming his stutter or Cowell thinking about how much revenue Gareth's records might make, we'll never know. The president of Fremantle Media, Alan Boyd, had done a good job in formatting Simon Fuller's initial idea. Minor changes were now being made by Simon Cowell, the producers... Ken and Claire, along with the Fremantle executive producer Richard Holloway, and of course, myself. One of the major changes was regarding the public's vote. The initial thought was that after hearing the judges' comments, the public would vote on who should leave the show. There were a number of other shows like Big Brother and Survivor where this device was used to eliminate contestants. Brenda, the Travis Spoken. Time for the go. You are evicted from the Big Brother house. Ken, Fuller and myself argued that that way of voting was not only negative, but it could easily lead to losing some of our best singers. Surely it was better that the vote was positive. Vote for your favourite. And the singer with the least amount of votes then would go home. Thank goodness we were successful in our discussion. It looks so obviously correct now, but I remember there were arguments against it at the time. In the first two rounds of the competition, the judges had complete control of who stayed and who went home, 
after which the public would take over. The initial auditions were extremely harsh. Simon Cowell had a casting vote as the record company representative and was the chairman of the judges. Pete Waterman, however, was stealing the show with great comments and tough love. I'm not being rude, but you have the worst verse I've heard in my life. He was even harsher with his criticism, but somehow got away with it. The only pop you could do is pop off, was one of his witty put-downs. There's no question that Pete took to his task far better than Simon, but one of Simon's great talents is that he learns very quickly. And it wasn't long before he took his place as the main Mr Nasty on the panel. Well, this is a pen, not a magic wand. You have to start with a modicum of talent. There was one incident, however, where some young man offered to take Pete outside and give him a good thrashing. Pete thanked him, but excused himself from the journey. Amazingly, the critiques from Pete and Simon were so tough that there were questions raised by members of Parliament in the Houses of Parliament. In fact, the company was asked by Parliament to tone down the critiques for season two. The second round took place at the Criterion Theatre in Piccadilly Circus. 300 singers had to be cut down to 50 by the judges. It was during these auditions that we had word that the Twin Towers had been attacked. So stage, we believe that a plane has in, crashed into the World Trade Centre. We were all so devastated that the auditions were called off for the rest of the day. I went back to Simon Cowell's house and we watched the awful events play out. We both agreed the world would never be the same. And as much as we thought about our problems, we realised how small they were. In the third round of the competition, the 50 remaining singers were broken down into five groups of 10, and the show moved into Teddington Television Studios, where the old company Thames Television used to be. This round gave the British public a chance to vote for the first time for their favourites. The singers could choose whatever song they liked and were accompanied by a piano. Each contestant had their own telephone number for the public to call and this premium telephone line cost 50 pence a call. Thanks to the fact that the entire United Kingdom is in the same time zone, it was easy to give a voting window of a couple of hours and get the votes back in a very short time. Therefore, later on the same evening, the results were given and the top two performers would move into what would become a top ten. I remember one moment that has lived with me for quite a while, when I suggested to one young singer that she sing Unbreak My Heart. It was a beautiful Diane Warren song originally recorded by Tony Braxton. There's no question it was a tough song to sing with the verse in a low register and the chorus going quite high. This young lady had the perfect range for it and it sounded brilliant in rehearsals. I thought you were fantastic, absolutely Brilliant. Unfortunately, on the night, in front of the judges, she never reached the top notes. It was a disastrous performance. Cowell asked her why on earth she'd chosen that song, and she replied, Oh, Nigel told me to sing it. She was voted off that night. Never again would I make that mistake. Ken and I would suggest contestants should listen to different songs, but they would always have to choose whatever they wanted to sing. 
It was during one of these shows that Simon Cowell had a spat with a young man called Will Young. Up to this point, he had never really impressed the judges. To be honest, I had to twist Simon's arm to put him through in round one. Now, in round three, he had sung a really cool version of Light My Fire. But Simon told him he thought it was distinctly average and that he didn't think it was good enough. Will thought for a moment and then said calmly, I think it's nice you've given an opinion on this show. In previous shows, you haven't. You've just projected insults and it has been terrible to watch. It is your opinion. I don't agree with it. I don't think you could ever call that average, but it is your opinion and I respect that. You are a gentleman, sir. Well, I think it was at that point that that beautifully crafted, calm rebuttal of Cowell's critique that changed Will's trajectory in the competition. Now, we are in round four, which was the top ten, and we moved to an even bigger studio in Wembley. The singers had a full orchestra backing them now and an incredible stage to perform on. The power of who stayed and who went home remained with the public. And after each performance, the singer with the least votes would be eliminated. So I thought, as it was down to the public, the judges were no longer needed. We could save money and let them go. Simon Cowell was furious and called Claudia at the network centre, demanding to remain on the programme. I was immediately called in to meet with her and told in no uncertain terms that the judges must remain on the show. In other words, I got my wrist slapped. Although they weren't voting, they could still continue to critique. That is what happened, and I have to say in hindsight, it became quite clear that Simon was absolutely correct in his demand. The singers had now moved on to a lavish set with a full orchestra accompanying them. Again, the public voted by telephone, and the person with the lowest votes was sent home. A most interesting event that occurred on this first season was that one of the contestants, a young man called Rick Waller, fell ill and said he was unable to sing that week. He was given a pass to remain on the show. However, when it occurred the following week, Rick was replaced by Darius Dinesh. Welcome back to Pop Idol. He's number two singing his number ones. It's Darius! Now, Darius had been a contestant on Pop Stars, and although at that time we thought he was a good singer, we believed he was too much of an individual to be in a group. I, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> so here was the ideal competition for him to shine. And shine he did, eventually coming in third. Darius. Simon. <laughs> I thought you were fantastic. The final two singers would you believe it, were Will Young, the young man who scraped through the first round, and Gareth Gates, who was favoured by Simon Cowell early on. There was even a story that Simon had met Gareth in his office before Idol had even begun and advised him to come along to the audition. Well, that advice had certainly paid off now. Simon Fuller could now see his original vision the one that he had described to me while I was on the island, brought to life. He had always imagined this final event 
should be run as a political campaign. The final two battling it out like two politicians vying for the office of Prime Minister or President. The producers organised two battle buses, one with vote for Gareth emblazoned on it and the other with vote for Will. This week was election week and our boys hit the streets on some very smart, very flash, big blue buses. That's welcome. Say that's too much. I don't think that's too much. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. They drove around London stopping off at newspaper offices, TV studios and radio stations along the way. Well, it's been a busy old time for our two pop idols. They've been on every chat show and attended more radio and press interviews than Luciano Pavarotti's had hot dinners. Will and Gareth would jump off their buses to greet the public and ask them to vote on Saturday night. It took the country by storm. They've got the screaming girls. They've got their own merchandising. They've even got their own buses. Yes, it's Will versus Gareth in the final of Pop Idol. And with the big day less than a week away, the attention being focused on these wannabe superstars is getting more and more intense. Every single newspaper, every news show carried their stories. And obviously the story of Gareth losing his stammer when he sang made a huge impact on our audience and became a major news story. Both Fuller and Cowell each chose a song that both contestants had to sing. Fuller chose Anything Is Possible, while Cowell chose Evergreen. Both songs were specially written for the finale and would eventually be released by the winner as a double A-side. I was frustrated and annoyed that the only track that had been recorded was in Gareth Gates's key. I didn't care who won, I just wanted it to be a level playing field and I felt that Will would struggle and have to change the melody as he couldn't reach the top notes in Gareth's key. And that was unfair, in my opinion. Simon Cowell had made it obvious he wanted Gareth to win. He and Will had had that small falling out during the series, and Will refused to work with him. So Simon Fuller was going to look after Will, whatever happened. The votes were now in, they'd been counted, and there'd been nearly nine million calls. Anton Deck slowly announced the win. The moment the nation has been waiting for, we have the results. You've both performed brilliantly this evening, and it's been very, very, very close. Gareth Gates got 4.1 million votes. Will Young got 4.6 million votes, and therefore won the first season of Pop Idol. He would go on to make a fabulous career for himself. His single from the show shot straight in at number one, beating the record set by Hearsay on Pop Stars a year early. I'm gonna take this moment and make it last forever. I'm gonna give my heart away and pray we'll stay both Gareth and Darius also went on to have their own number one records, and the finale made ITV the highest sum of money from the phone calls that they had ever made in one night. We did get the news that Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II had rearranged her schedule in order for herself and her family to be able to watch the show. I never got to hear who she voted for, so it will probably remain a state secret forever. Unless my dear friend and guest today knows, 
please welcome my childhood friend and fellow Idol executive producer, Kenny Warwick. Hi, Ken. Hi, Nigel. How are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. Uh, I've got some questions for you. See if uh, your memory is uh, better than mine, please. It was a long time ago, Nigel. It was 20, 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. Over 20 years, wow. Yeah, when, when I had a memory. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, before you began work on Pop Idol, I guess yeah. you'd seen pop stars... What were your thoughts watching it? Did you like it? Were you shocked at the success of it? I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. Of course, it was, it was our world of auditions, wasn't it? You know, as, as dancers and choreographers, we were either at auditions or, or you know, holding auditions. You know, but it was never seen, was it? It was never on television. You never saw that aspect You never saw it. it. The public never saw the actual process by which we kind of lived our lives. So uh, it was quite an interesting insight. And, of course, you get attached to different kids for different reasons, and uh, so you, you became emotionally involved with it. Yeah, so uh, that was obviously I, the inspiration for Simon Fuller. I guess it was. I, I, I mean, I would be amazed if it wasn't, because it was... Uh, you, you did a group, didn't you? And he That's wanted right. A, he wanted a single star. Individual artist, yeah. So yeah. let me take you back to the first audition city, which was Manchester... Yeah. And we knew, I think, then it was going to be a problem because thousands of kids turned up. That very first day was a nightmare because the judges wanted to see absolutely everybody. Uh, and there were thousands. So we started at 11 o'clock in the morning or whenever it was. And, uh, of course, at 11 o'clock at night, we were still going and there were still 200 people outside. Sure. So we had to come up. I remember Pete Waterman coming up to me in a tea break at about half past 10 and saying, Ken, are we here tomorrow doing this again? And I said, yeah. Uh, and he said, well, we're going to have to think of a different way of doing it. So we decided that we would do a pre-audition. You know, as you well know, the majority of people are good, but not great. Yeah. Uh, and we, our mandate was that, um, and I say our mandate, I mean yours and my mandate, was that we would show a genuine slice of the public that came through the door. Yeah, they be the great, good, the bad, be and terrible, the ugly. Funny, yeah. you know. But yeah. nobody that was just... Okay, or average, yeah. or bland. There was just too many of them, you sure, know, and, sure. and they were never going to be, in our opinion, they were never going to be stars. Well, as um, you know, so, I, I was in the room with the judges, yeah. and, and with four judges, yeah. and each one of them wanted their own say. And, on and every single one person. On every <laughs> single person. And, and I pleaded with Simon, bring, let me bring more in. He wouldn't have it. Uh, and, and he was right at the end of the day. It yeah. really worked well, thanks to the honeycomb of auditions that were going on outside of the room because you yeah. involved a lot of young producers and researchers and everything at the end of the day Yeah. Uh, in that. It, it, was, in, yeah. it was incredible. Uh, unbelievable. 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 Now, due yeah. to the fact that Simon's record label was signing the eventual winner, he became the chairman of the judges. But in those early days... I personally felt Pete Waterman was the star of the panel. What did you think? Well, yeah, you've got to remember that Pete Waterman was the kind of music celebrity there. He, had, um, he was a part of a, of, a, of a music group called Stock Aitken Waterman that produced records for Kylie Minogue, um, Rick Astley. Um, he'd also had a television show called The Hitman and Her. Right. So right. those kids, in actual fact, were turning up uh, to, to audition for him because he was the name. They, hadn't know, they didn't know Simon Cowell. They didn't know who he was. Right. Pete was the so, one for me that was coming up with the great lines. Yeah, definitely Pete was the leader of the gang at that point. Yeah, I mean, Simon actually came up to me and said, well, what do I do? 
Um, yeah. uh, and I said, you could be more honest. Just come straight forward with whatever you're thinking. Yeah. Uh, and, and the great thing I think about Simon Cowell is he learns so quickly. Very quickly. He, uh, he and it's a did. huge talent. That, uh, and the thing about Pete was Pete came from Coventry. You know, he was a down-to-earth guy. He did have a heart. I, I, remember, I remember Rosie Ribbons coming in and auditioning, Welsh girl, lovely, husky, sort of jazzy voice. Um, and he was in tears. Uh, and again, it was another thing, you know what we say about the, the ingredients we, you need to make a good, um, a good reality show um, are, uh, you know, talent, jeopardy, humor, heart, and honesty. If you've got those, those five ingredients, then you're, on a, you're usually on a winner. Yeah, if, if you've got those ingredients or you can fake them and you're on a winner. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Now, what you know, do you remember? You hear me say honesty as being one of those agreements. <laughs> yes. If, if you can fake honesty, you've got it made. Um, what do you remember about Gareth Gates' audition? Um, I remember sitting at this time I was in the room. And uh, uh, one of my producers, um, a guy named Steph Dennis, came in and said, Ken, we've got a, gu- a guy come from outside. Um, he's a latecomer. He hasn't been through the process. And I said, he's got to go through the process. She said, well, can you come out and hear him then? And I said, well, what, is he any good? She said, yeah, he's got a lovely voice and he's a lovely looking guy. She said, but he's got a huge problem. And I said, well, what's that? She said, he can't speak. And I said, what do you mean he can't speak? <laughs> so he said, he's got a terrible speech impediment. And I went, oh, my God. So I thought I'd better go and, you know, have a look. And, and in, in truth, to be true to the process of making him go through a pre-audition, sure. I went outside and sure enough, there was this, this sort of baby-faced looking, good-looking kid, kind of Leonardo DiCaprio kind of look. Um, and it honestly took me nearly four minutes just to get his name out of him. Um, and I thought, this isn't going to work. This is going to be awful. I don't, I, you know, I don't want to embarrass the poor kid by putting him in front of the judges. They'll tear him to pieces. And then he started to sing. And not, a, not an ounce of problem with his enunciation when he, when he sang, oh, uh, get in there. So we put him through and we actually had to edit down. I don't even remember the amount of time, because sure, by then he was sure. really nervous when he got in front of the yeah, judges. Yeah. Um, we, they, they asked him his name. It literally took him five minutes to get his name out. But um, when he finally did sing, um, I looked around and the girls, the, the production assistants that were dotted around the audition room, were in tears. Not they just the girls, I tell you, not oh. Simon Cowell, because I was there too, and Simon Cowell was like... His breath was taken away, and it was just after that audition. And I don't know if you remember this, but Cal said, "We've got a show here." We have well, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, uh, the minute I saw him outside, I thought this is the story of the series. And I went into the car park and phoned up Alan Boyd, as you know, our, yeah, um, our kind of guru back yeah. at Fremantle, who, who oversaw the show. And uh, and I, I phoned him up and said, uh, "I said, Alan, we've got a show." We've yeah. got a show. Yeah. Uh, so it was a... We all felt... And of course, was, he went through right yeah. through to the end. Yeah. A golden. A golden, golden. moment. Oh, th- those moments don't happen very often. Yeah. Now, Ant and Deck were our presenters, and, and you worked closely with Charlie Boyd to keep the humour right up front. Yeah. Back to those ingredients. Humour, when you had Simon being quite acerbic sometimes and being quite, you know, aggressive, yeah. you needed something to counteract that. You never did it in a nasty way, though. Emotional wave. Yeah, you never did it in a nasty way. It was always a cheeky way. Yeah, but the good thing was, in those days, even Simon was up for the fun, up for the fun of it, you know? And if uh, Anton Deck, who are great at this, uh, were of the opinion that if if the judges were giving it out, then uh, it was up to them 
to give the judges back a bit as well. And, That's right. uh, and as you know, they, uh, they picked on Simon because he, he, uh, he, he wore his trousers very high. With the but, T-shirt uh, tucked in, Ken. Yeah, with his T-shirt tucked in. So is, and, uh, I remember one point where um, I think it was Deck came out with his trousers that high and Ant yeah. said to him, Ant said to him, your flies are undone. And he said, oh, can you see my nipples? <laughs> <laughs> but in those days, you know, Simon was, was good fun. He was. When it came to the humour, he was up for, for everything because it became an integral part of the show. Yeah. And, and if some of it was quite, uh, quite near the bone. You know, looking back on it, I think, oh, maybe I shouldn't. We did one sketch with uh, Dr. Fox standing on a ledge about to jump because he thought he wasn't the most popular judge. <laughs> uh, and it, it was funny. But uh, looking back, I thought, oh, God, that might have been a bit near the mark. You know? Yeah. Um, do you think Simon changed over the years? Did you think he lost his sense of humour a bit? Um, I, I think he started to take him... It, 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 it's, it's the disease of Hollywood, isn't it? You become uh, a celebrity, they surround you with judge, with agents and, and with... with um, uh, Financial advisors. Yeah, I mean, and plus the 10,000 normal parasites that surround any star, and they tell you, you're fabulous, you're fabulous, you're fabulous, and in the end you start... You start to believe it. I mean, I mean, the guy was good. Let me get that. You know, let me get that yeah. straight. He was. He was very good at what he did. He learned very quickly, and uh, and he was just what the show needed for America. Um, but um, uh, over the years, as you know, it's like everything in life. The more you do it, you know. After a period of time, even su even Superman gets boring. Um, and uh, as the, we got on series after series, he got. He got fed up of having to get up at 10 o'clock in the morning. It just was too early for him. And, uh, uh, and it, got, it got more difficult. Sure. Uh, so we were now moving into the old Thames TV studios. And yeah. for the first time, we were breaking away from the pop stars format. Yeah. Uh, and creating an entirely different round. 50 singers were now being broken down into five groups of 10. That's correct. The audience would choose two singers. It was the first time the audience got a vote now. It was. Uh, were there any memorable moments during these weeks that you can tell us about? After touring the country and seeing, quite honestly, even though it was the first series, seeing thousands of hopeful kids, uh, we got to our last venue, which I think was uh, the place down by, by the docks. Um, oh, what's it called? The, the Excelsior building on Canary Wharf, uh, on the Isle of Dogs. Yeah, yeah, uh, the Isle of Dogs. Uh, well, we were down there, and we were holding the, um, the final auditions, and... Uh, We'd been through the day, as usual. Everyone was tired. That was it. We were about to wrap, and Ant and came and said, oh, there's another lad here. Uh, and I went, oh, it's too late. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to tell him to go home. And he went, oh. Uh, and bless him, it was Ant and Dex. He said, oh, he's a really nice guy. You should just, just see him. So I said, oh, all right. And I said to the judges, guys, sorry, really sorry. There's one more guy you've got to see. And, uh, and in walked Will Young, yeah. the eventual winner. Yeah. And, uh, and he was the very last person in the very last place that we held auditions, to walk through the door. I can move you on from that because what happened was um, they weren't going to put him through. And oh, we looked at how many remember. boys had gotten through that day and how many girls had gotten through that day, and there were far less guys. So I said, uh, can we please put him through because we, we, we're short on guys. Well, thank God you did. Um, he sang all right. He wasn't that great. And I could understand why they wouldn't necessarily put him through on that particular occasion. But yeah. thank goodness they did. Ah, but, well, I, I, I'm glad. But the, when we got to, to Thames TV and that, um, that, that stage where we uh, were trying to get down to the final 10, um, 
he sang and Simon, uh, Simon, as you know, laid into him. He told him he was average and he wasn't. By then, he'd got himself together. He was less nervous and he was very, he, he was very, he was intelligent. He was educated and in a very calm, eloquent way, told Simon off. I thought, oh God, here we go. Simon's going to explode at him here. But the truth is, the week before, Simon had been rude to one of the kids, and I can't remember the name of the person, but both uh, Dr. Fox and Pete Waterman had had a, quite a, a, a big go at Simon, saying, Simon, you, you know, you, if you're going to criticise, you've got to be constructive. You can't be mean or personal. You know, don't do it. It's, it doesn't become you. And Simon kind of backed down. So I think that may be a bit in the back of his mind when, uh, when Will Young had a go at him, uh, and, uh, and then the audience loved loved Will, and that really put the seed of success in the audience's mind for Will, because he is the only person who had eloquently put Simon in his place. Right, right. We were in every single newspaper every day. Were you, were you amazed at how successful we'd become? Yes, I was absolutely flabbergasted, to be honest, Nigel, um, because it was... Uh, basically, we were very lucky. We were put in a position of of put, making a television show out of the thing we had done all our lives. Finding talent, whether it be dancers or singers or whatever, uh, picking out from the crowd who was good and who wasn't, and, and putting them on a stage, giving it a full orchestration, giving them the, 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 prop, the proper backing, and kind of uh, promoting their, their career um, step by step, week by week, so they got better and better and better. Um, and it's what, it's what we did. You know, yeah. we were lucky. We were given a job that suited our talents, uh, didn't feel like a job, Ken, did it? No, it didn't. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, people often say, you know, would you go back and change? What would you go back and change? And the truth of the matter is that on that first series, it was magic. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have changed anything. Well, everything we did, by fair means or foul, worked. And the public loved it. And the, uh, I, I remember the, the ratings went up and up and up and up um, and by the time we got to the finale i remember i was at uh, in fremantle and uh the the ceo of fremantle at that time um a, a lovely guy um oh tony cohen his name was uh said we're having a party in in the foyer with everybody in the building everybody in uh, in fremantle um if you'd like to come down we would like to present you with something and i thought wow because because of the success of the show obviously i thought Wow, for the first time ever, I'm going to get a bonus. I'm going to get a check. I can't believe it. This is fabulous. So I trotted down there gaily, and he called me up onto the stage, and he gave me a graph of the increase in, in, uh, in viewing figures. It's something you oh, always wanted, I'm sure. Much. Who needs money when you've got a graph? That's right. <laughs> now, it was pretty obvious that Simon was rooting for Gareth all the way through the show. It was. You could tell by the way he was talking and by the way he, uh, by the way he critiqued both of them. Thankfully, Will's version of Come On Baby Light My Fire, which was the similar to Jose Feliciano version, uh, was, was absolutely, I think that won, won it for him, more than the song they gave him. To be and sure. that was the song that he sang when Simon said, that's distinctly average. Yeah, yes, that's true, that's so, true. So the, the public didn't think so. Uh, yeah. And of course, Will went on to have an enormous successful career. Uh, as did as did um, Gareth. Gareth, yeah, yeah. They both and now, so now we're looking at going to America. Did you think we would be as successful in America as we were going to be? 
No. I mean, at the time, in my mind, I thought, this is great, but we are big fish in a small pond here. There were a lot of television stars and programs that had tried to make it in America, and every one of them had failed. All in all, Pop Idol had been an enormous success, and of course, the news of those incredible ratings had spread across the Atlantic to Rupert Murdoch, who then called his daughter Elizabeth, who was living in England, and asked her if he should be making Idol in America. Elizabeth happened to tell me some years later that she responded by saying, yes, you definitely should make the show, but make sure you take the rude Englishman with it. And and the amazing fact is that although Simon had said he would go to America, he then got nervous and said he didn't want to go. It was only a phone call from you that changed his mind again and brought him to America. Now, I can't wait to hear what you said on that phone call, Kenny. And I can't wait to tell you. But that's another story. So thanks very much for being with me today, Ken. And thanks to our dear listeners. And please remember to subscribe to My Idle Memories for more stories and startling facts. Cheers, Ken. Cheers, nice. Thanks very much, mate. Pleasure. Until next time, stay safe. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Cue music. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.